Welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. This is episode 42 with Raquel Ravaioli. In this episode, we'll explore music therapy and how you can use lessons from music therapy in your work as a performer or a teacher. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. For so many players and teachers out there, I'm sure you would agree that um, teaching music often is about teaching kids to develop character and self-confidence. For many adult performers and teachers, I believe we struggle with a lot of insecurity. And I really believe that our practice as performers, as composers, teachers, gets to be a vehicle for our own self-care and personal development. I personally um, was filled with insecurity about my own playing in certain contexts for decades. And the more that I get into asking these questions about how to resolve those feelings of insecurity and how to take on the growth process in my work in a, in a healthier way and try to um, find a sense of acceptance of where I'm at, whether as a teacher, as a player, with whatever skills, I find that it helps me to enjoy my work more and also to be more effective in my work. And that's really what I'm committed to for you, the listeners. And um, it's one of the benefits I hope you're going to get out of uh, this talk with Raquel. Now, recently I emailed about this um, and it was probably the biggest response I've ever gotten from hundreds of emails that I've sent to the folks on my list. And so I want to invite you, if you'd like to email me, chris at christianhouse.com, just to tell me if this topic of insecurity and feeling held back by insecurity, if that's something that resonates with you, because I want to be doing more on this topic. And uh, it's definitely been a focus of the work I'm doing with my adult students who are teachers, professionals, and also amateurs. It's been one of the things that I've found has been a, a great pivot in the work that I'm doing in my own teaching. So again, whether you'd like to share about your own experiences related to this, ask questions about it, and or explore connecting with me in some of the work I'm doing as a teacher, email me chris at christianhouse.com. I want to thank our sponsors briefly. First of all, Electric Violin Shop. If you go to electricviolinshop.com, you can find their phone number there and you can call them during business hours and ask them any questions about anything electric strings, whether that's amps, pickups, mics, effects, etc., etc. Amazing resource. Look them up, electricviolinshop.com. I also want to thank Yamaha. Yamaha supports music education in so many ways. And one way that you can take advantage of this for free, simply Google Yamaha Support Ed. That is their free quarterly digital magazine. I highly recommend you check it out. I endorse Yamaha String Instruments, and I endorse the company as a whole for everything they do in their quality work, manufacturing instruments, and for all of their work in supporting music educators. 
And with this, let's get into the interview with Raquel Ravioli. Raquel, thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me to talk about this important subject. And as we talked about a little bit beforehand, um, I am really, as a musician and as a teacher, and I think for my audience, I'm really trying to get at why should we care about music therapy? Because its I've been a musician for a long time, and I've never really understood what music therapy is. But I've just got this sense that there's something important. <laughs> there's, like, some important things that we should learn about music therapy. Like, maybe we're already doing therapy, like, as musicians. Maybe we already need therapy as musicians. So I'm, I love that you have broken down this this stuff. Why don't you just tell us, like, about this this um, presentation that you've um, created that you're gonna you're gonna give at the the ASTA conference, the American String Teachers Association. Why don't you just tell sure. us about this particular presentation? Okay. Well, I am primarily a violinist, um, but I use guitar, voice, and piano when I am doing music therapy. I've been teaching violin and other instruments since I was 15 or 16, and I didn't know about music therapy until I actually got to college. Um, and I, my passion kind of shifted from teaching to being a music therapist and um, using music to address other non-musical goals, and sometimes it can still be a musical goal. Um, then after college, I continued teaching, and I realized the crossover between music therapy and teaching strings, and just education in general. How, as music therapists, we need to know how to educate our clients, mm. and not just our clients and our patients, but their families and other professionals, other health professionals. And also, as a teacher, we need to have a therapeutic side to us. We have to understand each individual that we're working with. We have to understand the relationships that we have. As a younger teacher, most of my students' parents are older than me. And how can we educate our parents, our students' parents, um, how to guide our students in the right way to practice or mm. maybe even some subtle parenting <laughs> advice. Wow. Um, and I think as a teacher, I've learned that um, the individual relationships that I have with my students, I'm able to recognize because of my education and clinical experience as a music therapist. Would it be fair to say that anytime that I have a, like, a, I engage with a student, if I'm a teacher, if I engage with that student, that part of Part of my role in that engagement should be to be aware of these things as a therapist, things that, you know, like these things that you just mentioned, like that that's going to improve that relationship. I think to a certain extent, yes, it'll improve it because you can look at each student as um, who they are, where they're, they're coming from, their background, um, culturally, socioeconomically, um, if they have other experience with other teachers. Um but also in therapy and music therapy, we talk about being too self-aware. And if you are overly self-aware, then that can inhibit your abilities because you are only concentrated on being self-aware and you can't be in the moment. So there's always a balance of what am I doing in the moment, but also am I present in the moment? Am I actually hearing what my student is saying? Um, 
And am I presenting it to them, the information to them in a way that they can understand and that they can transfer later on in their practice or down the road? Can you then explain what is music therapy? Sure. Um, so the American Music Therapy Association has a very concise definition here. Um, it's the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish individualized goals within a therapeutic relationship by a credentialed professional who has completed an approved music therapy program. So basically what they're saying is working on non-musical goals, usually, although they can be musical, but through music. So using music... Um, to address social skills, cognitive skills, fine and gross motor, or expressive receptive communication, um, working with early intervention, um, which is ages zero through three, preschoolers, adults, um, in mental health, in medical um, settings, um, with veterans, with you name it, pretty much we have a, we have a wide variety of populations we can work with. The name of this is Bridging the Gap, Utilizing Music Therapy Techniques in Teaching Strings. Yes. Okay, so that's, and so if we start out with the definition of music therapy, and then the next part are, these are techniques. Yes. Sorry, okay, yeah, sorry, Yeah, thanks. techniques, and um, I'm, I'm gonna go to the therapeutic considerations here. So okay. some of the things that um, are more, music therapy type terms like active listening. Um, are you really hearing what your students are saying? And and not just the words and what they're trying to convey to you, but maybe maybe their tone of voice is, you know, their attitude or their something is different about them. And really just being there, noticing, hey, maybe I shouldn't push them as hard today. Or maybe, you know, they're really on a roll. I can I can really push them far, um, and and I think it's important um, in lessons to in order to create that relationship to take two seconds at the beginning and ask, hey, how was your week or how was your day, and not it doesn't always have to be about the music, <laughs> even though yes that's the goal of a lesson, um, just like the point of music therapy is to use music to approach these goals. But sometimes I I will go through an almost an entire session without using music because there's just so much talk. Maybe I have a different relationship with my clients than they have with a talk therapist or their speech language pathologist or whoever. Um, and just like a violin teacher can have a different relationship with their student than that student can have with their classroom teacher. Um, so just being there and listening to what your student needs, um, which hopefully then in the end, like even if you spent a whole two minutes or five minutes at the beginning of a lesson just listening, maybe that'll help them concentrate better throughout their lesson. Or maybe mm. they'll go home and practice because they felt like they were ready to play or I don't know. Um, so This is under therapeutic considerations. Yes. And active listening, which goes along with hearing your students. And, and and what else? Connecting to them. Um, I guess the next thing um, is positive psychology. And this has to do um, simply choosing your words um, and addressing what the student's capabilities are versus what they can't do. And um, especially when I'm working with younger 
children, um, either in therapy settings or violin teaching, strings teaching, um, always addressing something with in a positive way versus no, don't do that or stop or that's not right. It's helping grow the self-esteem, which is another part of teaching and music therapy is that we are there to help grow somebody, not to squash squash them. And then you mentioned consistency. What, what do you mean by that? Um, lots of different things. <laughs> um, it could... First of all, in the in your teaching techniques, if you all of a sudden go off on something you've never gone off on before, your student can be caught off guard and not understand why is this happening right now. Or if you are never, um, if you're never talking to them about intonation, and you know, one time you say it, like, oh well, why isn't this in tune? You've never played it in tune. I don't know why. But if you're consistently reminding them, or hey, you got you got to fix that hand position, or something more specific than that, you know. Um, they're going to get it. Um, another way of thinking about consist- consistency is your student sees you, hopefully, once every week. And maybe you are, I mentioned this term before, but like a safe space. Maybe you are, or your studio, um, that hour or 30 minutes they have with you is their safe space. And that consistency in a child's life or a teenager's life or even somebody in college um, or adults, right? We all kind of need that structure and the consistency um, to function <laughs> healthily. I think consistency is important in every aspect of teaching and therapy. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. This is great. So these are all therapeutic considerations. You also have you have uh, transitions, boundaries, it's a relationship-based profession, self-care. There's a lot of stuff in here. Um, just in therapeutic considerations. I don't know if we should go through all of these or if you'd want to go back through other aspects of, of, of the proposal. What do you think? Well, um, I can speak to some of the challenges that teachers might have um, in a way that I might deal with some behaviors in a classroom. Great. Um, I mean, we all have that problem of students not practicing, <laughs> so I'm not going to speak to that. <laughs> but um, in classroom environments, my what I um, have experience with teaching is elementary students from kindergarten through fifth grade in group violin settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are always students that have what we call behaviors, acting out, um, needing that attention. Um, so I have a few things here that just to be aware of and knowing when to use what. And we don't always know when to use what, but it's a trial and error basis. And it's also about how well you know that student. So positive and negative reinforcement. So positive reinforcement would be an addition of a stimulus. So giving somebody a reward for doing something. Um, And then negative would be um, the adverse stimulus. So uh, giving them something negative, not taking something away, but saying no. Sometimes a student acting out might being a cry for um, for attention. If you if you've extinct it, if you've um, extinctioned it, extinguished if extinguished it right enough <laughs> times, and they're still acting out, maybe they need to be validated. Hey, I see you over there. Like, looks like you're having a fun time. I probably wouldn't say that. I probably would validate a good behavior actually, but um, but just noticing it and saying, hey, 
let's redirect your attention. So the third one would be redirecting. So um, giving them a task to do. Some students who act out are brilliant and they need more stimulation. So having that student be the leader of a group or giving them a task, if a student forgot his or her instrument, have, giving them the task to help point to the notes for somebody else or come up here and point to my notes for me or just giving them something else to do. <laughs> um, so this, redirecting that behavior. This was a behavior. pet peeve of mine when I was growing up because um, sometimes I felt bored in the orchestra class because I had other lessons. Sure. So I was more advanced, you know. And so I remember the the orchestra teachers that really um that i felt were like um kind of saved me like they would give me more things to do mm -hmm. like whether it was like a solo like a challenging solo on the violin or i got to play cello in the orchestra one year and <laughs> like you know they would just or you know my high school orchestra teacher encouraged me to play guitar and bass and stuff so it was like sure. if she wouldn't have done those things like i just would have been drowning in boredom yeah, and then acting up because exactly. that's just how I was, you know. But and and you you must have had great teachers for them recognizing the fact that you needed more to do because um, I've seen some teachers just say, "Stop! Don't do that! Stop talking! Mm. Don't do this! Don't do that!" Which is, mm. you know, it's not helping at all, and it's distracting the other students, and it's taking away from learning time. Mm. Um, so that's great that they were able to recognize that, mm -hmm. give you more to do. You probably already know that Yamaha makes amazing electric bowed string instruments, but you may not know about their lines of acoustic bowed string instruments. They're amazing. Now you know about it. One of the things I love about Yamaha is the warranty. As far as I'm aware, I don't know of anybody that gives you such a strong warranty as Yamaha does. So there's that peace of mind knowing that whatever you get from them, it's they're always gonna make it right if anything ever goes wrong, which it hardly ever does. So think about that. Thanks to Yamaha for supporting Creative Strings. Probably the most common questions I get from people every week on social media and in email has to do with gear. It's about mics, pickups, amplifiers, electric instruments, etc., etc. So many questions. <laughs> the thing is that this is such a rabbit hole to go down with with gear changing all the time. So the best answer I usually give to everybody who asks me is simple: call Electric Violin Shop. I'm going to give you their phone number right now. It's 866-900-8400. Again, 866-900-8400. Thing about this is you don't even have to buy something. Just if you've got a question, call them. Electric Violin Shop is a cooperative employee owned business. It's a very special group of people here in North Carolina, not too far away from, from Asheville where I live. Um, if you forget the phone number, look them up, electricviolinshop.com. Thank you guys, EVS, for supporting us. Teachers, do you struggle with teaching online? Parents, students, players, do you struggle with just getting motivated to be practicing online? Well, if so, have you checked out Creative Strings play-along video lessons? They're completely free, and there's over 200 of them, and I'm releasing them about three times every week at the YouTube channel. If you simply search Christian House on YouTube, you can find them or go to christianhouse.com or creativestrings.org. 
We have a big vision goal to teach 1 million students at no cost to them with quality educational media with these play along lessons. If you are listening and if you would like to get involved with making play along videos to be hosted on our channel to help us teach more students and or if you would like to get our searchable directory so you can access and find the perfect lesson for you at any time, reach out to me, chris at christianhouse.com or go to christianhouse.com and just look around. It'd be pretty easy to find how to get our directory and just to get involved. Appreciate you. What's the importance of self-awareness? So um, this is taken specifically from a therapist's perspective, but um, it's the therapist's momentary recognition of and attention to their immediate thoughts, emotions, physiological responses, and behaviors during a therapy session. Um, but taking that outside of the therapy session, um, if we can notice how we're feeling our emotions in the moment or how our body feels, our physiological responses, um, our thoughts, what are we thinking? <laughs> what are we thinking of? Are we in the moment? Are we actively listening or is our mind somewhere else or are we judging something? Um, and behaviors, how, how am I acting? Um, let's take physiological responses, for instance. Um, if I'm sitting in a chair and I notice my at a desk, everybody sits at a desk once in a while, and I notice my shoulders are up like this, and I'm frowning, and I'm typing away. But just noticing that, I can automatically release tension in my shoulders. I can notice that I'm creating wrinkles that I don't want. <laughs> I can start to breathe. And if we can notice those things, if we're, aware, if we're aware of it, then we're noticing it, and we can fix it. What? came up for me just then though is the idea of just video recording yourself or recording yourself mm -hmm. because that's the best way probably to become more self-aware. I totally agree and that's yeah. something that we talk about in in, in new teaching um, mm -hmm. for faculty here. They just mentioned that video record yourself teaching a class. Mm -hmm. See if there's something you say a million times that you don't like or a certain body language that you right. do that looks weird or and I don't want to do that. I'm scared to do that. <laughs> but when practicing, but you need to. Right? I need you to do, do that. Yes. But when pra I've done it, when practicing, right. I've done it for my singing voice. I've asked my students to do it for their singing voice right. because we sound different to ourselves yeah. with a violin, a cello, awesome. our voice than how others hear us. I always say the best way to improve as a musician is to record yourself and listen back. Yeah. I mean, and my, and my it's because I learned that from some of my mentors. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Bobby Floyd, who's he he's at, I think he's around sixty or but he still tape records every gig he does, and he'll just you know listen to little segments. And once I develop that habit, it's like I don't even need to practice as much. I can just just by listening to what I did on Fix last night's gig, time. I can just notice mistakes and things that are like unforced errors. Mm -hmm. That are easy once you're aware there are things you can fix and like like you say you don't have to be obsessed about every single thing you do but mm -hmm. you can just notice like oh you always do this one thing sure and, and that's self-awareness in your playing mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be physiological or emotional right. but that's yeah i think recording is a great tool so um my research was specifically dealing with music therapist perspectives 
on how their self-awareness impacted work with adolescents. Um, so speaking about adolescents specifically, um, it's a challenge to know as a therapist or a teacher, perhaps, what that teen is thinking in the moment because they are they don't show as much affect typically or they're not as... They, you don't get as you don't get immediate feedback like you do with a four year old, or even an adult mm. maybe. Um, but they're just like, okay, okay, you know, they're mm. cool teens. Um, and so, right, yeah, and the blanks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not give you anything. Yeah. Exactly, which is why I was having that <laughs> that counter transference working with teens because I don't know what you're thinking. Do you hate me? Do you want me in your room right now yeah. in the hospital? You know. Right. So I'm like, I, I don't know. know. I experienced that a lot working with kids. Absolutely. <laughs> And, with with teenagers, yeah. Yeah, and um, so focusing on knowing yourself as a teacher or the music therapist, um, mm-hmm. the intensity of the adolescent world, this is from a study by McFerrin, but um, intensity of the adolescent world quickly returns um, the therapist or the teacher to their own experience, mm-hmm. which is why that counter-transference thing happens sometimes. So, um, so music is such an important part of an adolescent's life, and how are they using as a, as a teacher, how are they using the music that they're playing with you for themselves, maybe? Or hmm. are they using their practice time as more of like, this might be too deep for teens, I don't know, but as a meditation? Or if you're teaching an adult student, how does that, how do they use the music for themselves? Um, and maybe, and everybody has a different connection with their instrument and with music. Um, for adolescents, it's hard for us to know what's going on with them, but maybe it's okay just to let the music do the work. Mm. Um, and just noticing that it's okay if they don't respond the way I hope they are responding, well, but that you're still getting through to them in some way. That's great. So I also read this as suggestions for teachers, things that they can think about. Mm-hmm. So what is, for example, does a teacher have a teaching philosophy? Mm-hmm. How does how does teaching philosophy relate to this? Um, Some of the things that I like to incorporate um, are improvisation in every sense of the word. So um, maybe if I'm teaching more classically based music, that might not occur as much in the music, but in what I'm doing that day. Um, In my music therapy sessions, I am constantly improvising because even if I have a plan, it might not go the way I planned. Just like if you have a lesson plan, who knows what's going to happen that day? Maybe only maybe five kids are absent or um, you just have to throw it out the window sometimes and just completely improvise on what you know. And you, you have this this thing here that says, who are you? Mm-hmm. I guess I, I asked the same thing, like why, how does this relate to music therapy and how does this it is, connect from um, that to being a teacher? Sure. I think um, this is just a reflection slide, um, mm. a reflection time to think about, do I do these things? And I, have I thought about them? And what can I add? And how am I different around different students? Uh, just no- noticing again who you are to your students mm. is such a big part of growing as a professional. Because if you don't know who you are, to your students, yeah. I mean, then you're just a teacher walking into the room. Yeah. But you're there for your students. So you have to know who you are. That's them. great. <laughs> well, I love this. And it, it seems like there's just, there's like a lot more. And I want to throw this up 
for people um, to be able to, to look at your proposals. So we'll probably put this on the show notes page. Great. And if you look underneath here, you can find a link to that. <laughs> uh, or if you're listening in on the audio version, you can just go to christianhouse.com um, and look for this this episode on the Creative Strings podcast. But I want to ask them a couple things, like maybe outside of this proposal, if it's okay for Absolutely. you, or also just give you. And first of all, just to mention that that this is a beautiful facility here at Marietta College in Marietta, Ohio, and we're sitting in the recording studio. It's awesome, <laughs> and um, you have a, a gig here. I do. So there's gigs in the world for music therapists, actually. Yes, there are. Lots of them. <laughs> like, talk, can you talk about the opportunity that exists for someone who might want to be doing music therapy? And, and how, many, how much qualification would they need to get if they're already a, a musician? Or? Sure. Uh, well, you can be a practicing music therapist after your undergrad degree. So that consists of your four years hopefully four years of um, college. And then after that, there's a six-month internship that's required. Um, it works out to about six months total. Um, total, it's 1,300 hours of practicum or field work, um, but you get two years before your internship. So that's how six months is like about 900 hours full-time. Um, and that's something that you apply for. And those internships are listed on the national internship roster on the American Music Therapy Association website. Um and then after that, you are eligible to take the board certification exam and you become a board certified music therapist. Wow. And you can work in with literally any age from pre-birth to post-death with um, bereavement um, in hospitals, mental health, um, uh, correctional facilities, in mm -hmm. schools, private practice. Um I am I am now the director of music therapy at Marietta College. Um, I also have my own business, uh, just doing private music therapy sessions, private teaching, still private gigging with violin. Yeah. Um, but in order to be a professor at the higher education level, you need a master's. Sure. Um, PhD is is um, uh. What's the word? Recommend. Recommended. Thank okay. you. I don't <laughs> yeah, have a PhD, yeah. obviously. <laughs> um, but you have a gig. You're, you're, but you're, I do. You're yes. like this is like a. What's your What's your title? I have, to, uh, my title is director of music therapy, assistant professor. It's amazing. And I am on tenure track. Yeah, which is that's awesome. incredible. But I have a master's of arts in creative arts therapies, music therapy concentration. Um, and I am here now. It's the first full year of this program, but we have these amazing brand new facilities and I have seven full-time music therapy students for wow. our first year. Um, wow. And it's so going people great. Could, so, if some, so if someone was thinking about um, career path, they could they could come to Marietta here at Marietta College. College. They could, they could <laughs> get a degree in music therapy. Yes, it's a, a bachelor's of music in music therapy. Yeah. And what if someone already has a bachelor's in music like performance or education, sure. but then they want to like get qualified. Like the there is an equivalency program, which means that it's, I'm pretty sure it's about a two year process. Um, okay. And so you don't have to take all the general education requirements. Right. Uh, we will be working on that 
soon. Cool. cool. <laughs> so it's not here yet, but hopefully, so if someone was interested within the they, next they few years, it'll anyway, be though. here. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm guessing if, if someone really wanted to come to Mary, we already College we have some interest too. in that, so that's why we're <laughs> okay. we're working on yeah. that within the next couple of years here. Okay. So yeah, yeah, definitely. That's great. Well, I feel like this is this has been super helpful to me. I know it's going to be super helpful to everybody else. I don't know if there's if there's anything else you'd like to add. Is there a way people can connect with you? We're going to put it all up on the website. But um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I'm excited that you're here at Marietta College. We're going to workshop some students around the area and do a concert tonight. Um, and I'm excited also to go to your Creative Strings workshop this summer again. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, that's all I have. If you can put my email up for anybody else who has questions specifically about music therapy or whatever on your. Okay. Um, if they want to find you, can they find you at. I guess they could go to Marietta, Marietta College and probably find your contact info there, or is there a better... Yeah, my um, contact info is on Marietta College website. Okay. Um, my own business is RaquelChristineMusic.com. Got it, got it. But um, any, anyway, you can find me. <laughs> Spelling unit, because Raquel is... R-A-Q-U-E-L. Ah, R-A-Q-U-E-L. Yes. Right. Yep. Christine. <laughs> yes. Raquel Christine Music. Is that Christine with an H? C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. Got it. And music is M-U-S-I-C. <laughs> <laughs> Raquel Christine Music, so they can find you there as well. Yes. Um, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Raquel. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode with Raquel Ravaioli. If you'd like to learn more about her, look her up at RaquelChristineMusic.com. That's Raquel, R-A-Q-U-E-L, Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Music, RaquelChristineMusic.com. If this interview resonated with you, please reach out, um, Chris at ChristianHouse.com. Um, leave a comment, find the show notes at the website, share this episode with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, Yamaha. Um, you can get their free quarterly digital magazine, which is called Yamaha Support Ed. Just Google it. It's easy to find. I want to thank them. And I also want to thank Electric Violin Shop. As I said earlier, it's the best resource for all things electric strings. Even if you just have a question, give them a call. Their number is at electricviolinshop.com. Again, I want to remind you about our play-along lessons, which are entirely free. That are for you if you're a teacher or if you're a pro or an amateur player. We have a big vision goal at Creative Strings to teach 1 million students at no cost to them using engaging play-along lesson videos. Um, there's so many benefits of these. Uh, number one, I think it's important that we, we lean more on the oral traditions of, uh, of education within classical music. Also, that we can showcase and learn from styles beyond classical music in terms of the perspectives and the skills that they draw from to, to be more well-rounded and happy um, as musicians and as teachers ourselves. Um, so I'm really excited about the play-along lessons and uh, hope that you will use them for your own practice and or for your students. If you'd like to request a certain type of play-along, just reach out to me. If you'd like to get involved in any way, go to 
christianhouse.com or creativestrings.org. And uh, as always, really appreciate you listening and tuning in. We're going to be releasing more podcasts in the next few months. We will see you soon.